0: Grab your Bibles if you would. I'm going to start off just talking about a couple of scriptures and then we're going to go to the Gospel of Mark where we've been at for a number of months now going through it section by section. But I need to do kind of an intro to the Gospel of Mark today. And I want to talk about something today that no matter how long you've been saved and if maybe you would have a tendency when you hear the Word to shut it off and say, I think I know all this... Um, To let you know that we want to talk about today is a topic that every single one of us has a lot to learn about, starting with me. Um, It's a topic that gets less simplistic the more I mature in Christ. And there are some topics that are like that. Some topics aren't like that, but some topics, when when you first come to Christ, it seems so simple. And you just read it and you say it goes this way and you just just believe it and things happen in a certain way you think. And then you live walking with the Lord for a while and you find out things don't necessarily always end up the way you think they ought to. And it gets less simplistic and more complicated. And I don't in any ways want to complicate Scripture. My job is to decomplicate Scripture when I preach to you. Um, But I want to talk about a topic today that we come to in the Gospel of Mark and we'll read the text in a few minutes that to me... Isn't, isn't more simplistic than it was 30 years ago when I came to Christ. It's a topic of faith and it's, its counterpart, its opposite, unbelief. Faith and unbelief. Let me share, first of all, just some, some basic ideas about faith. And I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures too. You can just listen if you want. Jot them down and, and look at them later. In Hebrews chapter 11, the first verse, it gives a definition of faith. And it really says this. It says, this is exactly it. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen so it's assurance and it's conviction of things that we that we don't yet see things that we hope for scripture goes on in hebrews 11 to say this about faith it says that in verse in chapter 11 verse 6 it says without faith it is impossible to please him and him is capital h it's god impossible to please him without faith for he who comes to god must believe that he is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. And you say, well, how do I just choose to believe something? If I have to please God and I have to have this faith, I have to believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him, how is that really possible? Well, the answer comes in another scripture, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, 8, and 9, where it says this, the last verse I'll read right now. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God not the result of works that no one should boast. And he's trying to say this to us, that the faith that we need, it says we have to believe, in, in Hebrews it said we come to God, we must believe that He is, and He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. He's in, in Hebrews, or in Ephesians it says, and that faith that we have to believe is a gift from God. That salvation and the faith to receive the gift of salvation are just gifts. From God, they're not something that we work up, and not something we earn or develop. Something that we um, can do on our own. That they're gifts from God, and we need to understand today that faith, this gift, this thing that's generated from God, that we need to walk with God. This, and we have to need in order to have assurance of what He promises us, and conviction that what He says will come true. This that, that generates and, and, and originates as a gift from God. That this faith is at the core. Of our Christian life. Matter of fact according to Hebrews. it We can't even please God if we don't have it. It's at the core of our life. That we are to be people. Who see what isn't yet. And who believe in something that is promised. But we can't put our hands on. That we are supposed to be as children of God. People of faith. And the reason that we're starting off talking about this today. Is because the text that we come to in the gospel of Mark. Is going to talk about faith and unbelief. And and we're going to find there's some things that we can learn about faith and its opposite unbelief from this text. Things that I think as we employ in our lives will help us to be people who walk by faith. And isn't that what we want? We want to be people who walk by faith. Scripture says we need to to please God. Walk by faith and we're not filled with unbelief. So grab your Bible if you would and we're going to turn to Mark chapter 5 and I'm going to read a really long section of scripture. So follow along with me or listen along with me. And the reason we're gonna, I have to read a long section today is because this whole section from chapter 5 verse 21 all the way to chapter 6 verse 6 is really intended by, by the Holy Spirit to teach us about faith and unbelief. And it's going to have a theme that runs through three stories. We're going to read the story of, of Jairus. We're going to read the story of the woman with the issue of blood. We're going to read the story of Jesus' town folk. And we're going to find out that in each one of these cases what's, what's really going on, what, what's really being taught is not just about what happens in those places but about why the things happened or didn't happen in the places that Jesus went and he ministered in his public ministry. So chapter 5 starting in verse 21 and it lets us pay attention. Listen to, to the role of faith or unbelief in these, in these different three stories as we go through. Starting in verse 21 of chapter 5. It says, when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat, and I love that, Jesus is always in a boat. You get that? Jesus is always in a boat. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. You know, if you're visiting, I love, I love water, I love to fish and be in a boat. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large, car, a large crowd gathered around him, so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, And on seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And and he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians, and had spent all that she had on—had on, had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeded from him and had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith, "...has made you well. Go in peace, and be healed of your affliction." And while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, "...your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore?" But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, "...do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, or only have faith." And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John and the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw the commotion and the people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has died. The child has not died, but is asleep they began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said, Kum, however that's pronounced, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown. And his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things, and what is this wisdom given to him, and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Jonas, and Judas, and Simon? And are not not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his own relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. Three stories. All dealing with faith or the lack of it in regard to Jesus' public ministry of healing and changing lives. Jairus' daughter, sick in the house, The woman with this, we call it the issue of blood or this hemorrhage, dealing with it for years in the crowd that Jesus knew in his hometown. Jairus. What do we know about him from the story? We know that he had faith in Jesus as the healer. It doesn't say how, but we can imagine how that happened. He had probably in times past but in the crowds when Jesus had, had done miraculous things. He had, he had touched people that were, that were deaf and they could hear. He had opened up blinded eyes. He had healed lame people. He had raised people from the dead. And he had seen all that. And so he believes in Jesus as his healer. He has faith in Him. He goes to Him. He says, come with me. And as Jesus is walking with Him to touch His daughter, He says, if you just lay your hands on my daughter, she'll be better. He had seen it happen. And word comes, your daughter has died. And his faith in Jesus as a healer is dashed to the rocks. It's shaken. But Jesus looks at him and he assures him. And he says this. He says, don't be afraid any longer. Just only believe. Only have faith. And they go into the room and we read the story. And he he touches the girl. He just speaks to her. Rise and she gets up. And she's healed. In the middle of that story, we got the parenthesis story of the woman with the hemorrhage who pushed through the crowd And it said this about her in the story. We know how she had faith. It said that her faith, that she had faith in Jesus as a healer because it said she had heard about the things that Jesus had done. She had heard about all his miracles. And then she pushes her way through the crowd saying, If I can just touch his garments, I can get healed. And she touches his garments without Jesus even being, unaw- being, being aware of the fact he's touched at first. But it says something amazing. It said power proceeded from him and he knew somebody touched him in a way different than everybody else in the crowd. Somebody with great faith had touched him and she had been healed. And he, he finds her and he says, what happened? And she tells him. It says, interesting, she's afraid. And he says, don't be afraid. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. But then he goes out to his hometown he begins to teach in the synagogues, it says. And, and it says this interesting thing. Just like Jairus and just like the one with the issue of blood, people heard and saw what Jesus could do. They said that they were astonished by Jesus' teachings. They were astonished by his miracles. And they began to question, how is this possible since he's just one of us? They said, he's just a carpenter. He says, don't we know his brothers? Don't we know his sisters? We know this guy. How is this stuff possible? And it says something interesting that happened in their lives but was exactly the opposite of what happened in Jairus' life and in a woman with the issue of blood's life. It says that they took offense at him. And when they took offense at him, it says no. And I find this, is really I think it's comical. It says no, or just a few miracles were done. Jesus just laid his hands upon a few sick people and they got better. And I'm thinking... We just want that, (laughs) you know. um, We want to walk in that. And Jesus said a few miracles in the place. And Jesus then gives us the answer for why. He says, and the reason that no no great miracles were done was because they had unbelief, that they lacked faith. And in these examples that we've looked through, that each one is tying um, faith to these results or lack of faith to a lack of, of great spiritual results. And the question then for us today is people who say, God, we want to walk in your reality. God, we want to see you do the impossible. God, we want to lay hands on the sick and we want to see them recover. Not for us, but so that you can, you can transform lives, you can help the hurting, you can set people free who are, who are oppressed. God, you said it would happen and we want to see it happen. And the question for us today then is what can we see in these stories so that we can draw some truth out that can help us to be people who are people of faith and not people of unbelief. Because we see from the story that the people who walked in faith saw the impossible and the people who walked in unbelief didn't see the impossible. And friends, there are some things in this story that I think we can draw out of it that can help us to be people who walk by faith and not walk in unbelief. And the first thing I think we need to grasp from the story, and it's maybe the most obvious, and, and you may say, well, that that That's simple but it's probably the most profound of the whole thing, is this. That real faith is about faith in Jesus. That real faith, the kind of faith they had here, the kind of faith that that set people free, the kind of faith that brought healing, was faith in the person of Jesus. You know, that hometown crowd of Jesus didn't believe that Jesus was anyone special. They said He's just one of us. You know, it says they had heard Him speak and they had witnessed His miracles. But they couldn't get past the fact that he was just one of them. They had no faith in Jesus as the healer. They really didn't believe that he could do the awesome things that were going on and people said were happening through him. But then on the other hand, we have Jairus and we have the woman with the issue of blood. And both pursued Jesus. When they were in need, they went after him. Jairus, in, 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 in probably the great expense of his reputation as a leader of the synagogue, sought out Jesus and said, "I know you're the one who's the healer." And the lady with the issue of blood said she forced her way through the crowd and said, "I could just got to get to Jesus because they knew that Jesus was the healer. They knew that Jesus was sent by God, was God's very own son. Their faith was in Jesus, their trust was in God. And friends, I find this to be one of the most important keys to real faith. It's having confidence in Jesus himself. It's knowing his nature and his actions and believing that he is who he says he is, that he really is God's son. And as such, he will always do what's right and best when we go to him. It's putting our confidence, our faith in him. You know, we see this in Jesus' response I'm sorry. In Jesus' response to Jairus, he says, when he comes to Jesus, he says, do not be afraid any longer. He says, only believe. What's he asking to believe in? Is he saying, only believe your daughter will get better? That's not what he's asking. He says, only believe. He says, believe in who I am. Believe in what I can do because of who I am. And friends, that's been the main point of the Gospel of Mark up to this point. Jesus is trying to make a point in five chapters in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the Son of God, that he can do anything. And when he says to him, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe, he's saying, Don't be afraid any longer. Believe in me. Believe in Jesus. Trust in me because I've been sent from the Father and I'm here to invade your world and change things by the power of the Lord. Friends, our faith doesn't lie in right formulas and that's one of the problems of the church world. We say, well, just how do I do it? If we structure a church service just right, if we have the right preacher standing up there, if we sing the right songs, if we do everything right, then we go to a certain feeling and we can pray and we can see the impossible. That's not it. Faith doesn't lie in right formulas. Faith doesn't lie in, in bright teachers. Faith, does, faith doesn't lie in going to the right organization or having, having the right people around us. Faith lies in one thing and one thing only, in Jesus. That He's the bedrock of our confidence. And those two people got it. And they he, were healed. But the, but the town folk, they didn't get it. Their faith, if you would have said, do you believe in God? They would have said, sure, I believe in God. Do you believe in Jesus? And they would have said... No, he's just one of us. Their faith lies in Jesus. That's the first thing. It's the bedrock of our confidence is Christ. Now understanding this leads us to another thing that we learn about faith from these stories. And it's this. That real faith is not about the ability to make oneself believe something that is not so. And if you've been around the church world for any length of time, I say to you right now, perk up. And listen, because I think we've had a lot of really bad teaching about this for a lot of of years in the church world. Real faith is not about the ability to make oneself believe something that is not so. There's no having faith in faith here in these stories. Faith is tied to the person of Jesus Christ, tied directly to who he is and what he can do. And nowhere in these stories do I see here someone saying that they have faith that something is going to be done, that a miracle is going to happen, and then claiming that it's happened even though they haven't seen the results. It said when the woman with the issue of blood was touched Jesus' cloak and she was healed, she knew that she had been healed. It wasn't that she said, I confess I've been healed. She said, no, she knew she was being healed. And you say, well, why is that important? Because it gets into this area in the, in the church world that we call either positive confession or, or hyperfaith theology where people equate faith to the human ability to confess and believe that something is so even though it really isn't. And it goes something like this. A person is sick, whether it's with a cold or whether it's with cancer. And they say this, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I I confess that I'm healed. And if you say to them, well, but you have cancer, that's a negative confession. I don't buy that. I won't speak it that way. And they say, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm healed, when all the while, they're sick. They've been taught that if they can remove mentally all doubt from their mind, then their faith will bring a miracle. They look at that as faith, and that's not what faith is. But look at the stories that we have here. Because they show something different. The woman with the issue of blood knew she was sick. And she didn't hide the fact that she was sick. She didn't lack faith because she was sick. She admitted the fact that she was sick. And she went and she pushed through the crowd. And she said, I am sick and I need help from Jesus. And she received her help. And look at Jairus. Jairus, a man who's a synagogue official. He's a leader in the the religious world. He didn't go to Jesus and say, you know what? My daughter isn't sick. He didn't go to her and say, my daughter's not sick and I'll make no such negative confession about her and she's just healed in Jesus' name. He didn't do that. He went to Jesus and he said, my daughter is sick. Please come and help me. Friends, real faith is not about the ability to make yourself believe something that is, that is not so. Real faith is trusting in Jesus in all circumstances. It's not trying to create a circumstance that is contrary to reality. It's walking with Jesus in your reality and trusting Him through that reality that you find yourself in. Real faith is resting in the reality of his love for you, which causes all fear to flee because you believe in who he is and that he has a constant love for you and will cause all things to work together for good in your life when you go to him and ask him. That's what real faith is all about. It's not about contriving something or trying to believe something that's not so. It's about turning to Jesus and having complete confidence in him. And trusting Him in all circumstances. And saying, God, I trust in Your love. And you know what we say, the Bible says that where you have perfect love, what to do? It casts out all fear. That when we come to Jesus and we rest in His reality, and rest in that reality of His love, that He causes fear to flee. That's why He could say to the person, Fear no more. Be afraid no more. Only believe in Me. He causes fear to flee. Because you believe in, in Him, in who He is. And that his love for you will cause him to care for you when you ask. That's what real faith is all about. It's not about confessing something or causing yourself to believe something that's not true. And that's important for us. Because unfortunately a lot of people have been led to believe that if you have any doubt in your mind, you don't have faith. That's not what the scriptures show. Doubt's human, doubt's real. But we look to him and we say, I put my soul conviction and confidence in you to do what's right and best. One more thing about faith today. Faith, this is a part of, of the conviction of things not seen, the confidence of, of how, how that ties into it, of what faith is. And it's this, faith sees and believes the impossible. Underline it, when the Lord says the impossible will happen. Faith sees and believes the impossible when the Lord says the impossible will happen. See, there's an order to faith that results in the miraculous. There's an order to things happening and we see it lived out in, this, in these lives of these people. Jairus is a man who had faith. He had seen Jesus as a healer. He goes to him, but the people come to him and they say, it's too late. Your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher anymore? She's dead. And Jesus looked at him and said, don't be afraid, Only believe. And then Jesus Jesus said it. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. He spoke to the situation. Then Jairus trusted Jesus. He believed in what he said. And they go to the house and they see the miracle. There's an order to it. And friends, to me, this is the key point in miracle faith. It's believing the impossible because Jesus, by His Spirit, says that the impossible will happen if we believe and obey. It's not the, it, amen, it's not the other order. It's not the other way around, and that's what we try to do in our human list. We try to change the order, and we say, this is what we want. And we try to twist God's arm into doing it. It's not the way it works. The order It's, it's not this other way around. When we want to see the impossible, so we confess that it will be so, and then we try to convince ourselves and convince God that it's going to happen. And even if we don't know God's will on the matter. You know what? we've referenced it a few times here and i want you to turn with me now to hebrews 11 because it reveals this pattern to us it's a pattern that'll change your life as you are, are trying to figure out how faith works little little s- snippets of life stories listed one after another after another after another in the book of hebrews we call it the hall of faith or the 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 um the the, the wall the the People, I think, I'm to. The Hall of Faith, Patriarchs of Faith. There we go. Um, in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith. But there's an order that you see that's listed here in all the lives of the people. And the order is this: that in these lives, of these people, God spoke to them about a situation. Then the people believed about the situation, and then God did the impossible in the situation. Look at look at chapter chapter 11 verse 7 with me just a little one, one section here about the life of Noah, which takes chapters to write about. But it says this, By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he commend, condemned the whole world, and being an heir of the righteousness which is, in according, is, is according to faith. Look at the order here in Noah's life. Noah didn't know what was going to happen, but one day it says, God shows up and God warns Noah about what's to come. God speaks to him. What's Noah do? Does does Noah believe it or does Noah reject it? Noah says that, that Noah hears and he believes it and he receives it by faith. He had faith in what God says is going to happen and then in time, God did what God said he was going to do and he flooded the whole world and Noah and his family were saved. Verse 8 talks about Abraham. We know about Abraham's life. And in Abraham's life, Abraham's kind of minding his own business. And God speaks to him about a miracle. He said, I'm going to take you to a new land to build a nation out of you. God speaks to him. And what's Abraham do? By faith he believes what God had said. And he begins to walk out God's plan. He believed. And God led him to the promised land. And in the promised land, God made a nation out of him in a miraculous way by giving him a child in his old age to become a nation of the nation of Israel through whom the Messiah Jesus would come out of. Verse 11 talks about Sarah. Sarah, it says in that situation, God speaks to her also and says, you know what, you're an old lady, you're 90, but you're going to have a son in a year. And what did she say? Did she have unshakable faith? She sat in the tent and what did she do? She laughed about it. And when the angel of God confronted her and said, why did you laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. And she receives what the angel says, in a year you're going to have a baby, and they come back in a year later, and they have the miracle of Isaac, their son. In verse 24, it talks about Moses. And in Moses, it says that God, he's walking through the wilderness and fled Egypt, and he sees a burning bush that was isn't consumed, and God speaks to him through the bush, and says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, you're going to deliver my people. God speaks. What's he do? Does he run? No, he believes. He makes some excuses. He says, but I can't speak, God. His faith wasn't unwavering. He makes some excuses, but God spoke. And then he believes what God says, and he goes and he follows God's instructions. And we know all the miracles that happened through the life of Moses. Verse 30 talks about Joshua. How God spoke to him and said, you're going to be the new leader. And he says, you're going to go and you're going to." one of the things he spoke to him about is you're going to take on this, this city of Jericho. And you're going you're gonna to come to this great walled city with a bunch of people who know nothing about fighting. And you're going to conquer the city, but you're not going to conquer it with swords and spears. You're going to march around the city. One of the dumbest military plans in the history of humanity. You're going to march around the city. Then one day I'm going to tell you, you're going to blow horns. When you blow horns, the walls are going to fall down. And so he obeys because God said so. And he marches around the city. He listens to God. When they blow the horns, the walls fall down. and They, they, they run straight into the city. The last one, how about Gideon? Verse 32. He's hiding in a wine press, not a man of great faith and power. His people are being overrun by the Midianites for the umpteenth year, about 14 years. They're being overrun, and he's hiding in a wine press, and he's hiding some wheat so the Midianites won't steal it. And God speaks to him and says, You're a, you're a great man. He says, You don't get it. I'm not a great man. I'm the weakest man from the weakest tribe. And God says, No, but I chose you. And he speaks to him, and he says, you're going to lead your people. And he believes God, even though he doesn't receive it. He's not, he doesn't have the sense that says, oh, I just absolutely believe it's all going to work out good. He says, God, I've got to test you a little bit. He said, and he throws out a fleece one night, and he says, God, if you're really telling me to do this, make the whole ground dry and the fleece wet would do, and it happens that way. The next day, he so says, I'm not 100% convinced. Tonight, God, make a, the whole ground wet and the fleece dry, and it happens that way. He says, okay, I believe you. He listens to what God says. Why am I pointing that out? I'm pointing it out because so often what happens is we're been led to believe that if we have any doubt in our mind, somehow we don't have faith. That's not what faith is. Faith is confidence in Jesus. It's believing that Jesus is who He is, and Jesus is going to walk through us as we turn with us through whatever circumstance as we walk with Him. And sometimes we have confusion and doubt in those times, but we put our confidence in Christ and we keep walking forward with Him. And what happened with Gideon? He takes 300 men against hundreds of thousands of people in an army, and God causes him and his people to win. Another wonderful military strategy. Take pitchers and trumpets and, and, uh, and torches and smash the pitchers, hold up the torches, blow your trumpets, and say, the, the, for the Lord and Gideon. And the army kills itself. You know, um, God wants us to learn this pattern that the miraculous power of God is demonstrated through healing or provision or protection comes as a result of first hearing God's voice on the subject and then in faith believing and obeying. Friends, this surely teaches us that we need to seek God's plan in a circumstance before we just assume we know what's best and pray for an outcome that we desire. The longer I walk with God, this is one of the things I'm coming to terms with. But when you're young, you're just convinced you know God's desired outcome. But as you walk with God for a while, sometimes you realize God allows us to go through deep waters to make us grow and to make us better and to help us be used to help other people. He doesn't always rescue us from the difficulty. In faith, we walk through it sometimes so that He can make us better. So we we learn to trust Him. And in faith, we believe and obey when he speaks. But we don't just say we know the outcome before we're convinced the Lord has spoken. Friends, this concept should surely teach us that we, as children of God, need to seek God's plan in a circumstance before we just assume we know what's best and pray for this. And this certainly makes the case for the need to be people who cultivate lives of prayer and devotion so that we can really hear what He's saying to us by His Spirit. And then when we know what He says, we can believe and obey and see the miraculous. And that's what happened in the lives of every one of the people we talked to. They knew it. God spoke to them. And they went and they followed. And God did the impossible. Friends, as we close, I want us to understand something. Without doubt, Jesus is a miracle worker. We can have faith in Him to do the impossible. And as His followers, we need to walk closely with Him so that we can hear Him speak about the matter that's at hand with us. And then when we hear His voice, we can believe and obey and trust Him for the impossible. See, a lot of times people come to me and they say, Pastor Mark, pray about this with me. And oftentimes, this is what I pray this way. Unless I really sense the Spirit of God say, This is what I want to do in this circumstance, I simply pray from the Lord's Prayer. I say, God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Impose your will upon this circumstance. So that, God, you would do what's absolutely best. And sometimes, God, I think I know what's absolutely best. But you know what? If God gave me everything I always thought was best, my life would be a train wreck. And so would yours. But we say, God, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Impose your will. That's not some, some sense of just of fatalism, oh, thy will be done. No, it's saying, God, you have a will in this issue. Impose your will upon the situation. And God, as you want me to walk in conjunction with that, reveal to my spirit how to pray according to it. There's times when somebody would say, you know what, God told me I'm going to be healed. And there absolutely no God said it. And you pray, and all of a sudden they're healed. And God said it. But I have a friend who had cancer. And for the whole church, I wasn't the pastor of this particular church, but the whole church would have all night prayer vigils. And I sat with this man, he's a good friend of mine. He was a friend of mine, and I prayed with him. And he said, I don't know why everybody's praying. I said, what do you mean? He said, God spoke to me about the matter. He said, I'm getting to go to heaven. He said, God spoke to me. He said, I'm going I'm to die of this disease. And he was fine with it. He said, we all have a time to go. And he passed away. And everybody was saying, but it's not God's will. And this man was saying the whole time, God told me this is what's going to happen. That God's working something dealt different. And I'm going to glory. The reason he could rest in that confidence is because he heard the voice of God on the matter. And friends, that's what God wants us to get today. That faith is trusting in the person of Jesus. In whatever circumstance we walk into, we we bring it to Jesus, and we say, Jesus, impose your will upon this situation. And and sometimes he says, and my will is this, and it's contrary to what anybody believes is possible. And when you get that conviction in your heart, you stand on it, you believe it, and you say, this is what God said, and you're unmovable, and God does the impossible. But we're willing to say, God, we're not the ones who determine the outcome. We want to trust you to determine the outcome. And that's the difference between real faith and what has been contrived to be faith at times. It just says, I automatically know the outcome and I'm going to claim it and I'm going to name it. I'm going to say, that's it. When God may have a different plan. But it all rests on this. Perfect love casts out all fear. He said it to the, to the, to the man, to Jairus. He said, don't be afraid any longer. Just believe. Just believe in Jesus. That's the, that's the bedrock Of real faith. We just believe in him. And that's what he wants for you and me today. He wants us to be people that no matter what we're walking through. We turn to him. We turn to him first. We don't turn to people. We don't turn to churches. Now that's all part of it maybe. But we turn to Jesus first and foremost. And we walk with him through our situations. And friends. He's the one then. Who can grab us. And say you know what. Your faith has made you well. And that's what I want us to be, people who are people of faith. Is that what you want? Amen. Let's stand together this morning.